from deep inside your audio device of choice. Ladies and gentlemen, I thought, I don't know, was it last week, was it a couple weeks ago, the uh, presidential campaign here in the United States had reached its nadir when uh, the um, responsible parties were reduced to defending, as I said on this broadcast, the probity of public opinion polls and beauty pageants. But no, there is no, there's neither a nadir nor a nadir in this campaign. You, you could wish for one or the other. You would be doomed to disappointment. This is the week that both sides hurled the word rapist at the other side. The, the bucket has no bottom, apparently. Now, we're... We're often kind of urged or cajoled into wanting to hear more in a, an American presidential campaign about the issues. Can we just talk about the issues for a minute? No, we can't, because the issues basically are a set of poll-tested slogans uh, meant to uh, cajole the base into getting behind the particular behind of the candidate they're stuck with or or have chosen. Uh, and uh, I'll, I'll give you some issues uh, to exemplify the evanescent nature of the issues. 2000 presidential campaign, George W. Bush, I want to have a more humble foreign policy. 2008 presidential campaign, Barack Obama, we are not going to have an individual mandate in my health care plan. So as the Republicans said during the George, uh, during the Bill Clinton administration, this was their slogan. Character counts. Now we're at a point where we're being asked to believe by the Democrats that somehow through the torment and tussle of the primary campaign, Hillary Clinton has changed into more of a progressive. And we're being urged by the few people who will come out and defend Donald Trump at this moment. Those few people are all named Rudy Giuliani that he has somehow changed since a certain tape was recorded. Um, well, you know, you can believe that if you want. Uh, that's Hollywood movies are based on that very premise. Wow, they changed. He changed. He learned. She learned. She changed. Go, go for it, I say. But as Hillary Clinton herself was reported to have said in the emails which were reported to have been hacked from John Podesta's email account, one of her chief advisors, although no one in the Clinton world will either confirm or deny the authoritativeness of those um, emails because, you know, they were hacked by the Russians. Uh, she was reported to have said, well, you, you know, it's just basic. You need in politics, in American politics, you need two positions, not two devices. She didn't say that. Two positions, one for the public and one in private, i.e., it's showbiz. It's all showbiz. T taking an example from showbiz, this week a gentleman who passed away, Rod Templeton, he wrote at least two of the songs you, you and I identify with Michael Jackson. Off the Wall. And uh, one of I can't remember, but from this from that same iconic record that he did with uh, Quincy Jones, also wrote a song you're going to hear momentarily. 
the not the people who sang them, but you know, the the uh, sopranos didn't write Aida either. And uh, as soon as I can huddle with my handlers and writers, I'll have a a snappy kicker for this segment. In the meantime, hello, welcome to the show. <laughs>
From a beautifully early autumnal New Orleans, I'm Harry Shearer, welcoming you to this edition of the show. Now, ladies and gentlemen, we're not number one. An international research team co-led by Children's Hospital of Eastern Ontario and the University of North Dakota studied the aerobic fitness levels of children and and the youth across 50 countries. Results available in the British Journal of Sports Medicine. I read it for the ads. Kids who are aerobically fit tend to be healthy. Yeah, all right. And healthy kids are apt to be healthy adults. With you so far. So studying aerobic fitness in the early years is very insightful to overall population health, say the uh, lead uh, authors. It's important to know how kids in Canada or America fare on the world stage. Well, it's all America. You mean the United States, bud. We can always learn, he says, from other countries with fitter kids. Top five fittest countries, ladies and gentlemen. Just, uh, you know, get your seatbelts on. Top five fittest countries in the world. Tanzania. Iceland. Yeah, right. Uh. Estonia. Norway. Japan. Out of 50 countries tested, Canada, Canada, sorry, placed 19. The United States of America placed 47th out of 50. Just three points ahead of Mexico. They're killing us. No, we're killing them. I don't know who's killing whom. British police. Oh, sorry. Still. Still on that subject, aren't we? I thought we were. I'm over here. Maybe that's all I had. We're not number one. But, um, ladies and gentlemen, what about our freedom-loving friends in Saudi Arabia? Huh? What about them? The United Nations has called on Saudi Arabia to repeal laws that allow... Stoning, amputation, flogging, and execution of children. Think of the children. Children over 15 years, well, are tried as adults and can be executed after trials falling short of guarantees of due process and a fair trial, according to the U.N. Committee on the Rights of the Child. The independent experts, 18 of them of the committee, analyzed Saudi Arabia's compliance record with the U.N. Treaty, that would be law, protecting the rights of citizens under the age of 18. Those would be defined as children. Experts voiced concern, experts, that uh, the Saudi government still does not recognize girls as full subject of rights and continues to severely discriminate against them in law and practice and impose on them a system of male guardianship. Unquote. Maybe uh, Trump could run for president of Saudi. The committee said violations of young girls' right to equality should not be justified using traditional religious or cultural attitudes. So what else you got, Saud? Children from the minority Shiite community, can you say it on the radio, and other religious minorities are continually discriminated against in their access to schools and justice in Saudi Arabia. Out of 47 people executed beginning of this year, four were under 18. Responding, the Saudi Human Rights Commission, man, who do you have to tick off to get appointed to that, told the UN the Islamic Sharia law was above all laws and treaties, including the Convention on the Rights of the Child. Telling the U.N. basically to put that where the sun don't shine. And uh, now, ladies and gentlemen, a new, a brand new feature of this uh, very program, if I can find it. Yes, I've found it. It is a new feature. It's in the new feature file. And uh, it is right here. (laughs) 
This is on the subject of we're not so exceptional after all. British police have warned about people in clown outfits acting suspiciously and sometimes wielding knives as they follow people. The warning this weekend follows a string of incidents in recent days in an apparent effort to copy clown-related threats in the United States. Police in Gloucestershire said there have been six reports of clowns acting suspiciously and sometimes in a threatening way. No arrests have been made because the people dressed as clowns have left the scene before the police arrived. Organizers in Tucson are planning a Clown Lives Matter march for October 15th in reaction to the recent spate of creepy clown incidents, both real and imagined. According to a flyer advertising the event, this is a peaceful way to show clowns are not psycho killers. The killer crown craze that is sweeping the UK after gaining notoriety in the US is wasting emergency resources and pranksters are being urged to consider the consequences. That's something pranksters always do. I don't know why they forgot in this particular... Beginning with a spate of incidents in the U.S. in the run-up to Halloween, people have been dressing up in scary clown costumes. Officers said the incidents were causing alarm in the community and tying up police resources. This has scared people and caused real distress, said one of the officers. Whether those involved are doing it for a joke or not, this is no laughing matter. These are stupid acts that are really frightening people and wasting our time. Think of the consequences. More than 37 states here in the United States have reported clown sightings, which ones actually led to arrests. Not every sighting was a hoax. Some led to actual arrests. At least nine clown-related arrests have been made in Alabama so far. I would have suggested that. Seven are facing felony charges, according to NOLA.com. Uh, there's more, not just Alabama, ladies and gentlemen. In California, police arrested a juvenile on a felony charge, saying the juvenile made clown-related threats that involved shooting people at Yuba County schools. Mesa Public Schools in Arizona had clown threats made against their schools. Two teens were arrested in Phoenix on suspicion of robbing a Taco Bell and Domino's while wearing clown masks. A man was arrested for driving in Arkansas, in a clown mask and harassing a store clerk, according to NWA Online. A man dressed as a clown, along with his accomplices, clowns need accomplices, ladies and gentlemen, were arrested in downtown Bentonville, Arkansas. They were released by the uh, police. Police said the man dressed as a clown was terrorizing people with a horn. <laughs> in Connecticut, two girls were arrested in connection with a Jackson the Clown social media account that made threats against high schools. Man, I wish I knew when I was in high school I could have made a threat against it. Uh, not defending them. Come on. A 12-year-old boy was arrested in Pasco County, Florida, earlier this week, for making clown threats to schools. This appears to be the, th the thread here. A few arrests have been made in Georgia in connection with clown threats. False claims to 911 claiming they saw cl clowns in a white van. They've made, it, made the story up. Four people were also arrested on the suspicion that they made clown threats against schools in LaGrange, Georgia. Police arrested a man in Kentucky who was dressed in a full black and white clown costume. That is scary. Have some colors, man. And mask. He was a 20-year-old who was walking in a wooded area near apartments around 2 a.m. He was looking for the colors. 
In Roseville, Michigan, two 18-year-old women were arrested. All right, then. After they dressed up as clowns and began to chase and scare two 14-year-old girls. I'm sorry. It's very serious business. There were also a string of bank robberies in Detroit perpetrated by someone wearing a clown mask. Well, you got to wear some kind of mask to rob a bank. Come on. Get your choice. Trump mask, maybe? In um, early September, a North Carolina man was arrested after reporting to police that a clown had knocked on his window at night. He had claimed he chased the clown into the nearby woods. He was arrested for making a false police report. Eight arrests so far related to clown threats in Ohio. Portland, Oregon. A man was a 55-year-old man was arrested after he wore a clown mask and boxing gloves to a middle school and stood outside school windows shadow boxing the students. Uh, he's the same guy who was arrested. Well, he was charged with second-degree menacing disorderly conduct. Earlier in the day, he'd walked his grandchildren to a school bus stop while dressed as a clown. A 21-year-old in Oregon was arrested after he wore a clown mask next to a high school sign while carrying a sign himself that read, We Are Here. He took photos of himself and distributed them. A man in Amarillo, Texas, was arrested for dressing up as a clown and scaring people. In Vermont, a 15-year-old was arrested after banging on classroom windows while wearing a clown mask. Don't be a clown, I think, is the message we're getting from that, ladies and gentlemen. Don't be a clown. Contrary to the song that uh, may be still going through your minds as we speak. If the election is rigged, there's so little evidence the election is going to be rigged. If it's going to be hacked, we may never know, according to Computer World magazine. It may be rigged and sabotaged, that is to say by hacking, we may never know what happened. This election day, voters in 10 states or parts thereof will use touch screen voting machines with no paper backup of each individual's vote. Some will have rewritable flash memory. That is to say, you, somebody could change it. It's memory that can be changed, just like you would want to change the memory of this past week or year. In precincts where vote tallies, uh, if malware is inserted into these machines that's smart enough to rewrite itself, votes can be erased or assigned to another candidate with little possibility of figuring out the actual vote. Where vote tallies raise suspicions, computer scientists will be called in the day after the election, but even if a hack is suspected or proven, it would be likely to be impossible to do anything about it. If the voting machine firmware doesn't match what was supplied by the vendor before the hack, quote, it's like you burned all the ballots. That's according to Daniel Lopresti, a professor and chair of the Computer Science and Engineering Department at Lehigh University. We have, he says, no way to confirm that we can really trust the output from the machine. This election in particular, says Computer World magazine, has computer scientists and security experts worried They're concerned that electronic voting machines, voter tabulation, and registration systems will be hacked. If an attack causes a polling place backup and some voters leave and go home, the vote is reduced. This may be as effective as voting machine tampering in affecting the outcome. It also may undermine confidence in the results. Pennsylvania, a battleground state, you may have noticed, is attracting the most concern. Many of the counties use touchscreen systems that do not use a paper ballot or produce a paper record for the voter to inspect a record of the voter's intent. Lopresti was an expert witness for the plaintiffs in the Pennsylvania case challenging the use of touchscreen voting machines. The uh, response 
to a suit. The plaintiffs merely wanted a system with paper verification of each vote. Pennsylvania spent nearly 10 years fighting the lawsuit, even as other states reversed course on touchscreen systems such as Maryland. So, you know, in the long run, we're all dead. Um, but so who knows? Oh, wait, here's, here are the more we number ones. We're number ones. I knew there were more. Every study ranking nations by health or living standards invariably offers Scandinavian social democracies a chance to show their quiet dominance, says Bloomberg. A new analysis published this week is no different, perhaps the most comprehensive ever. It does reveal the broad shortcomings of sustainable development efforts uh, uh, in the United States. Iceland and Sweden share the top slot with Singapore as world leaders when it comes to health goals set by the United Nations, according to this report published in The Lancet using the U.N.'s Sustainable Development Goals as guideposts. Uh, the, um, where is the United States? Uh, 28 overall between Japan and there's that Estonia again. And the U.S. isn't one of the top 10 most free countries in the world. According to the Legatum Prosperity Index's findings, For 2015, the U.S. is the healthiest country in the world. So that contra the Bloomberg survey. But the country with the most personal freedom, Canada, followed by New Zealand, Norway, Luxembourg, and Iceland. What is with the Iceland? Personal freedom, defined by the London-based Legatum Institute, measures a nation's performance as both guaranteeing at both guaranteeing individual freedom and encouraging social tolerance. Uh oh. Canada was ranked number one due to 94% of its citizens saying they believe they had the freedom to choose the course of their own lives and 92% saying there was tolerance for ethnic minorities and immigrants. The U.S. was ranked the 11th most prosperous country out of 142. Really? Norway snagging the top spot. Other areas measured are the economy, entrepreneurship, which the French don't have a word for. George Bush told us that. Governance, education, safety and security. The U.S. was ranked highly in all categories except safety and security where it's dropped to number 33. According to Amnesty International, said the report, U.S. has the same level of political violence as Saudi Arabia. Well, no wonder we're friends. The safest countries are Hong Kong, Iceland again, with the Iceland, Finland, Ireland, almost Iceland, and Sweden. I think that's Ireland's slogan, we're almost Iceland. We're not, we're still not number one after all this. After I found all that out, after I dug through the pile, we're still not number one. But now, news from outside the bubble. This is about the British government's intervention in Libya. I think we in the United States had something to do with that. But this is about the British involvement. It was carried out with no proper intelligence analysis. It drifted into an unannounced goal of regime change and shirked its moral responsibility to help reconstruct the country following the fall of Gaddafi. Sound fam- like a familiar pattern? We learn so much. We change. We learn. We change. We learn. This is according to a scathing report by the Parliamentary Foreign Affairs Select Committee. That's of the House of Commons, the elected part of the parliament. The failures, they say, led to the country, uh, Libya, becoming a failed state on the verge of all-out civil war. Aside from that, Mrs. Lincoln, the report clearly echoes the criticisms widely made of Blair's intervention in Iraq. It concurs with Barack Obama's assessment, in retrospect, that the intervention into Libya was a, I'm not going to use the word he used, a crap show, is the acceptable euphemism, and repeats 
Obama's claim that France and Britain lost interest in Libya after Gaddafi was overthrown. Libya, as you know, is currently mired in political and economic chaos with competing factions fighting for control of the key oil terminals and no nationwide support for the recognized government based in Tripoli. The uh, spokesman for the parliamentary, or the, actually the chairman uh, for the parliamentary select committee, Crispin Blunt, a conservative, criticized the British government for not taking advantage of connections with Saif Gaddafi, who studied in London, and of Tony Blair's relationship with, with Gaddafi himself. No one then said, let's run this, let's keep this line of communication open. If there's a possibility of a political strategy to have avoided what turned out to be a calamity, would it not have been a serp- would it have been a sensible idea to have at least tried it? Question mark. Cameron, who was the prime minister and has quit the parliament now, uh, last few weeks, has refused to give evidence to the committee. He blamed the Libyan people. In one of his few reflections on the uh, intervention, he blamed the Libyan people for failing to take their chance of democracy. Blaming the victim, ladies and gentlemen. News from outside the bubble, a copyrighted feature of this broadcast. Now, as uh, most of you are hearing this program, we are, uh, well, you know, uh, we're we're, uh, told that there will be something coming into us fairly soon that might be of uh, topical interest in it, but we don't have it quite yet. Uh, That They have that tape. They don't have that tape. They're, they're letting us know. All right. So uh, in the meantime, um, ladies and gentlemen, news of inspectors general, won't you? Oh, that's so not inspectors general. That so doesn't even sound like inspectors general. I'll fix this if it's the next thing I do. Here it is! Oh, this machine is my new favorite machine. I'll tell you right now. Here we go. He's not a general. It was my fault. Don't panic. He's not an inspector. Don't be like me. He's an inspector general. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. News of inspectors general, ladies and gentlemen. And it's my pleasure to do something right here and and, uh, share them with you. First first of all, holy moly, Uh, more than 2,000 disputed gun purchases were allowed to proceed during the past 15 years because of a longstanding disagreement between the FBI and the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms, and Explosive over who qualifies as a fugitive. This according to the Justice Department's Inspector General. Fugitives are disqualified from purchasing firearms here in these good old United States. Yet in an audit of firearm purchase denials, the the Justice Department IG found that the FBI believed that more than 2,000 transactions between 1999 and 2015 should have been denied because the buyers were fugitives, though the uh, uh, Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms didn't agree and didn't attempt to recover the firearms. Can you guys get an agreement on... Dayline Sioux Falls, South Dakota, the internal watchdog of the Health and Human Services Department, say the often substandard quality of care at hospitals serving Native Americans. Substandard quality of care at hospitals serving Native Americans. Who would have thought of that? Is the result of outdated equipment and technology, lack of resources, and difficulty attracting and keeping skilled staff. 
The inspector general released this week two reports that looked into the longstanding challenges of the 28 hospitals directly operated by the Federal Indian Health Service. Sign me up. The office, which acknowledged that reports of inadequate health care services for Native Americans had been of concern to the federal government for almost a century, criticized the agency's limited oversight regarding compliance with regulations and quality of care, detailing how the agency's regional administrators had few sources of information to assess the services provided at the hospitals. The agency, uh, the Indian Health Service, sign me up, has faced challenges for decades. Within the past year, has been under increased scrutiny from Congress after inspections of hospitals in the Great Plains uncovered severe deficiencies. You know, just because we took their land doesn't mean you have to be so bitter. Nadeline Kabul, the U.S. Defense Department, has assured a watchdog agency that a number of efforts are being carried out to track Afghan active duty forces, security forces, so that American taxpayer dollars aren't being wasted on so-called ghost soldiers. In a letter to the Pentagon, 15 years to the day after we invaded Afghanistan, the Office of the Special Inspector General for Afghanistan Reconstruction says it's worried about significant gaps between the assigned force strength of the Army and the actual number of personnel serving. That is to say, there are ghost soldiers getting paid, but they're not actually boots anywhere near the ground. The Inspector General expressed particular unease about southeast, southern Helmand province, where Afghan forces have been struggling to fend off relentless Taliban offensives. Um, Helmand's incoming police chief in June was quoted as saying up to half of the roughly 26,000 soldiers and police officers assigned to the province did not exist. Officially, Afghan security forces, including the army and police, are said to number about 320,000. The AP reported earlier this year there were likely then fewer half that money, uh, that many. The inspector general says he's concerned that U.S. funds could be pocketed by Afghan commanders under the guise of paying soldiers who've deserted, have died, or have never existed. The Defense Department said that the Defense Department said several efforts were underway, including person-by-person verification and biometric registration. Ninety percent of police, 70-80 percent of soldiers have been biometrically enrolled said the DOD. When the inventory is completed by July of next year, we'll have a more accurate rep- representation of force strength. And effort, uh, efforts at changing the way salaries are paid so they go directly to employees should be implemented by next year. The U.S. has spent $68 billion so far to help support the Afghan military. It's been hampered by demoralization and desertions for years. The inspector general has not yet said whether he believes the efforts to deal with ghost soldiers are satisfactory. News of Inspectors General, ladies and gentlemen, copyright feature of this broadcast. Just an angel of vision, they are dancing and playing so joyfully loving. Just in the edge of my hearing, they are so sweetly saying the things I want you to
From CPR, Continental Public Radio, this is a special report. I'm Milton Getzler in Washington. We've been alerted that Senator Ted Cruz of Texas is about to make a major statement of some sort. Cruz, of course, ran against Donald Trump in the Republican primary campaign, refused to endorse him at the Republican convention, and then ended up endorsing him two weeks ago. Cruz had tweeted criticism of the Donald Trump backstage tape on Friday night, This will be his first public reaction to the firestorm that tape has produced. Now, Senator Cruz. As all of you who know me must know by now, I am a man who believes in the sanctity of principle, as well as the principle of sanctity. Along with my faith and my family, those two bedrocks have anchored me as only bedrocks can. While the rough political seas have tested me these past few months and tested all of us, particularly me, one of those principles has been the protection of our constitutional freedoms which have made possible a way of life unknown to all but a few in the history of mankind and which are imperiled by all but a few brave souls in the abattoir of American politics. Those who know me best know that I have allowed nothing, not political expedience, not friendship, not even basic human decency, to deter me from standing up for that principle wherever and whenever it is challenged, and it is challenged everywhere and all the time. It was in pursuit of that support, and in support of that pursuit, that I ran for the Republican nomination for the presidency of this great and blessed land. As you all know, I did not quite reach the finish line in that grueling contest, But the grueling was not to stop there. At the Republican convention in July, I called upon you all to vote your consciences this November. And I was pilloried for that simple act of dedication to the convictions I hold most dear. 
especially my conviction that a lying sociopath should not occupy the position of ultimate power in our democratic system of government. Over the next two months, I gave long and prayerful thought to whether in the face of the existential danger that is the prospect of a Hillary Clinton presidency, whether I could find it in my heart to wholeheartedly support her opponent. I found that I could do so. And so, two weeks ago, I endorsed Donald Trump. Only after he personally assured me in the most sincere and detailed fashion that he had forsworn both lying and sociopathy. And once again, I paid for my principles with an avalanche of obloquy, as if there was something unforgivable about a man following his deepest instincts and his highest aspirations, as well as his understandable concern about his personal well-being. That is to say, mine. Now, as you all must be aware by now, we have turned a page, we have crossed a political Rubicon, and there is no turning back from a path that is, in fact, a great and painful turning back, if only in the most principled and divinely directed way. I'm referring, of course, to the so-called P-gate tape of Donald Trump. I'm not going to dignify the remarks or contribute to the gotcha political culture by actually saying the words that have so traumatized the nation, lest I once again become the story, something that is anathema to every bone in this body. But those words spoken on that tape so long ago and so very far away have forced me to confront a fact I've left unacknowledged for far too long. Simply put, that fact is that I have been preternaturally blessed with a wife and two daughters. As you probably can recall, that wife, my precious Heidi, has already been dragged through the most public of mud by this very man. Those daughters have been taught by Heidi and their father that their bodies are precious, blessed vessels not to be regarded as the property of any man except their partner in holy matrimony. During the tumult of a campaign season, it has been all too easy to ignore that most salient fact that I share a house with three women. But now, thanks to the persistence and perspicacity of these most persuasive people, I can ignore it no longer. I am in this very real sense whipped by Pigate. It is at moments like these that one can reconnect with the deepest core of one's own soul and realize that the most winding of paths is often the straightest of lines. What can seem like feckless indecision can in fact on greater reflection be revealed to be but an uncertain compass struggling to regain connection to true north. I have found that direction. I have regained contact with the pole star of my deepest convictions. I have realized that in saying he would no longer be a lying sociopath, Donald Trump was at that exact moment being nothing more nor less than a lying sociopath. You can imagine my surprise. And so I come before you today with a message crafted out of the hard work of self-criticism and prayer. I will now suspend my endorsement of Donald Trump for the presidency of these United States. There are times when one questions one's conscience 
and in all honesty, the only reply one gets is a somewhat eerie silence. This is one of those times. But amidst the tempest, one truth stands out like a sturdy oak defying the buffeting winds to which I will attach the banner of my belief. My Heidi is one very beautiful woman. Thank you. And honey, I will be home for dinner. Support for this CPR special report came from the Public Radio Fund for Support of Conference Travel and Special Reports. I'm Milton Getzler in Washington. This is CPR, Continental Public Radio. Well, and now news of the Olympic movement. Produced by Jim Ebersol Jr. Rome's mayor, Virginia Raggi, has written to the International Olympic Committee withdrawing Rome's bid to host the 2024 Olympic and Paralympic Games. Raji has sent a six-line letter to the IOC informing them that the capital city was pulling out of the bidding for the event, but Diana Bianchetti, the director general of Rome 2024, still traveled to uh, deliver a secondary part of a cache of documents required for the bid to continue. It would appear unlikely, however, that the IOC would allow the bid to continue without the support of the city. Well, that, yeah. Otherwise, whose pockets are they going to pick? I mean, if confirmed, the withdrawal of Rome leaves Budapest, Los Angeles, and Paris in the race to host the Games would be chosen next September in Lima, if Lima doesn't pull out of hosting this election. The city council voted in favor of backing Raji's decision not to support the um, bid. She said it would be irresponsible to continue. Raji's opposition to the bid has mainly been financial, with the politician insisting other projects were more deserving of the money than the Olympics. What other movement you got, babe? And in Rio, according to a Reuters source, one worker has been killed and another has lost his leg in separate accidents during the disassembly of the Rio Olympic venues. Anonymous sources indicated the workers' safety at these sites has been severely compromised due to the Olympic Committee's delays, the Rio Olympic Committee's delays in paying service providers and its recent dismissal of safety inspectors. More than 100 safety inspectors who would have been responsible for monitoring the dismantling the facilities. Some companies, because they haven't been paid, are employing less than qualified individuals and using cheaper equipment, thereby increasing the risk of accidents. The Rio Organizing Committee did confirm to Reuters that both accidents did occur, with one worker being electrocuted and another having his leg amputated during disassembly of the beach volleyball arena in Copacabana. But wow, did you see the girls at that arena? The International Olympic Committee has been accused of failing the clean athletes of the world at Rio. The Institute of National Anti-Doping Organizations, INADO, says 
The IOC lost the anti-doping battle before the Olympics began by allowing sports federations to decide whether Russians should compete following allegations of the state-sponsored doping program in Russia. Unlike the IOC, the International Paralympic Committee imposed a blanket ban on Russian athletes. In NATO, the 59-member group of anti-doping bodies said the IPC didn't make the same mistakes as the IOC. Nato said the IOC had ignored its own calls for harmony and independence, as well as the World Anti-Doping Agency's recommendation of a complete ban on Russians from the Olympics. 270 Russians were cleared to compete at Rio. The IOC chose to associate itself with such a system, the Russian system, by failing to reject it categorically. The IOC has been reanalyzing tests from the London and Beijing Olympics. It retrospectively banned a Russian high jumper from the 2008 games. It's it's a movement, and we all need one every day. There is um, news of microplastics, ladies and gentlemen. The Great Pacific Garbage Patch, far bigger than imagined. The vast patch of garbage floating in the Pacific Ocean is far worse than previously thought. An aerial survey finds a much larger mash, mass of fishing nets, plastic containers, and other discarded items than imagined. You didn't imagine. You didn't do. You, you, it's a problem of the imagining. I'm I'm faulting the imaginers. You got to imagine better, ladies and gentlemen. Just just got to work on your imagining. It's I'm not, that's not a criticism. It's just you know something to something to fix, something to learn. Way a good way to change. A reconnaissance flight taken in a modified C-130 Her- Hercules aircraft found a vast clump of mainly plastic waste at the northern edge of what is known as the Great Pacific Garbage Patch. Well, there's a start. There's a clue. It's located between Hawaii and California. You can see it from a lot. No. The density of rubbish was several times higher than the ocean cleanup, uh, the foundation partly funded by the Dutch government to rid the oceans of plastics, expected to find even at the heart of the patch. The patch has a heart where most of the waste is concentrated. Normally, when you do an aerial survey of dolphins or whales, you make a sighting and record it, said the founder of the Ocean Cleanup. That was the plan for this survey. But then we opened the door, and we saw the debris everywhere. Every half second, you see something. So we had to take snapshots. It was impossible to record everything. It was bizarre to see that much garbage in what should be pristine ocean. Well, yeah, but then we got here. The heart of the garbage patch is thought to be around 386,000 square miles the periphery spans another million three square miles. The dimensions of this morass of waste are constantly morphing, caught in one of the ocean's huge rotating currents. So it could come your way soon. Bring your kids. The North Pacific gyre has accumulated a soup of plastic waste, including large items and smaller broken-down microplastics that can be eaten by fish and enter the food chain. Come on in. The food chain's fine. According to the U.N., Environmental program, the Great Pacific Garbage Patch, is growing so fast that, like the Great Wall of China, it is becoming visible from space. According to the ocean cleanup, most of the debris was large stuff. It's a ticking time bomb because the big stuff will crumble down to microplastics over the next few decades if we don't act. Acting is all it takes? I can do that. The full scale of plastic pollution was revealed in 2014 when a study found there were more than 5, mi- 5 trillion pieces of plastic floating in the oceans. In 2014, 300 million tons of plastic were produced around the world, a 20-fold increase since 1964. It is expected to quadruple again by mid-century. A report by the Ellen MacArthur 
Foundation earlier this year predicted there would be more plastic than fish in the oceans by 2015, unless urgent action is taken. Plenty of plastic in the sea will be the new cliche. Microplastics, ladies and gentlemen. There. What's for dinner? And now, the apologies of the week. Well, the first one has to be, of course, this one. I've never said I'm a perfect person, nor pretended to be someone that I'm not. I've said and done things I regret, and the words released today on this more than a decade-old video are one of them. Anyone who knows me knows these words don't reflect who I am. I said it, I was wrong, and I apologize. I've traveled the country talking about change for America. But my travels have also changed me. I've said some foolish things, but there's a big difference between the words and actions of other people. Bill Clinton has actually All abused right, women, uh, okay. and Hillary has bullied, attacked, shamed, I thought and you were, intimidated. I thought you were apologizing. We will discuss this more in the coming days. Okay. All right. Thank you. Billy Bush, the giggling then-host of uh, Access Hollywood who was on that tape, egging on Donald Trump's boasts, apologized sooner than Trump did. That was Trump's uh, hostage video from uh, early Saturday morning. Billy Bush, cousin of George W., quote, it's no excuse, but this happened 11 years ago. I was younger, less mature, and acted foolishly in playing along. I'm very sorry. Please don't fire me from the Today Show. He didn't say that. But he meant it. But there's more. Of course, there are always more apologies, ladies and gentlemen. That's the great thing about this modern world. Dateline Ottawa, the commissioner of the Royal Committee of Mounted Police, Bob Paulson, has delivered an abject apology to hundreds of current and former female officers and employees who were subject to bullying, discrimination, and harassment dating back as long as four decades. I think they would have gotten used to it by then. Paulson made the historic apology this week as he announced the settlement of two class-action lawsuits stemming from harassment that have cast a dark pall over the Mounties. Pall over Mounties. To all the women, I stand humbly before you today and solemnly offer our sincere apology, he told the news conference in Ottawa. You came to the Mounties wanting to personally contribute to your community, and we failed you. We hurt you. For that, I am truly sorry. The settlement would provide financial compensation for the women and lead to the resolution of the lawsuits. The Canadian government has earmarked $100 million for payments. There is no cap on the overall compensation that could be awarded. Note to Donald Trump, that's how you apologize, babe. Another Canadian apology, a hospital in Canada apologized after a nurse mistakenly called a man and said his mother told him his mother had died when she was actually alive and well. This was in Winnipeg, Manitoba. So don't go there. Dayline, New Zealand, a New Zealand rugby star has apologized for his unacceptable rendezvous in an airport toilet, which led the country's prime minister to comment that the player embarrassed himself. That's what he did with himself. Uh, Aaron Smith was handed a one-game suspension and faces a misconduct hearing after members of the public spotted him following a woman into a disabled toilet last month while he and his all-blacks teammates were waiting at Christchurch Airport. I've made a huge mistake, a huge error in judgment, the 27-year-old told reporters at the team's hotel in South Africa. I'd firstly like to say a huge sorry to my partner, Tegan, her family, my family. I'm also sorry to my teammates, 
and New Zealand rugby and the New Zealand fans. My behavior was unacceptable. I'm just trying to get home to deal with this. Thank you. New Zealand's Prime Minister John Key said Smith had embarrassed himself. Your king's been treated like absolute royalty, said uh, one of the witnesses, referring to New Zealand's attitude toward the ruggers. A petition to reject the controversial nominee for Philippine ambassador to the U.N. has reached more than 10,000 signatures after he was seen using anti-Semitic language on Twitter. Teodoro Loxon Jr., or Teddy, tweeted seemingly pro-Nazi comments with references to Auschwitz and the final solution. He later apologized for the tweets and removed several of them. He's a journalist and ex-congressman. His tweets echoed recent comments made by Philippine President Duterte, who prompted outrage by referring to the Holocaust and saying he would be happy to slaughter three million drug addicts. He later gave a grudging apology for that. More than 3,000 people with alleged links to drug use or dealing have been killed since Duterte came to power in June. The United States was going to uh, upbraid him about extrajudicial killings, and then Duterte pointed out that the U.S. does those in different circumstances. Loxin started gaining attention on the social media after he posted several controversial tweets. Quote, I believe the drug menace is so big it needs a final solution like the Nazis adopted. That I believe. No rehab, he tweeted. In another, he referenced Auschwitz. You're making this country look crazy, said a uh, Twitter user. He served as local politician for almost 10 years. Uh, he said that his daughters had told him to stay off of Twitter, and he was not allowed to tweet anything, not even niceties. He apologized for his tweets. I'm sorry for my strong language, but it's unavoidable given the mendacity of those I fight. I cannot be other than myself. I ask God's and the Jewish community's forgiveness, but only theirs. He also told CNN his tweets had been sent for shock value and was partly a private joke between him and a friend who worked in the Jewish government district. I don't know what the Jewish government district means, but if it was a private joke, maybe, maybe, maybe don't put it on Twitter. It's just, you know, just just a thought, just an absolutely, oh, now, uh, those are the, uh, well, Megyn Kelly apologized. Uh for uh, reading one of the supposed uh, leaked emails that apparently was forged. Um, and uh, we apologize for that error, said Fox News later in the Megyn Kelly show. Apparently some of those leaked, somebody sent a version of those leaked emails that had forgeries in them, which was spotted only after it was read on the air. The Apology of the Week is a copyright feature this broadcast. And we now, um, shortly before tonight's debate... Now the the, the uh, it's, uh, as we're broadcasting, it's hours still before tonight's debate. But apparently, uh, the candidates are arriving early for uh, run-throughs or something. And I'm told we have just received a um, videotape. We have the audio of it uh, of Donald Trump entering the uh, the uh, the area at uh, the University of St. Louis, accompanied by one of his advisors, Newt Gingrich. So maybe we can. Uh, play that uh, tape right now if we have okay they're gonna mic you up now donald so great great what kind of mic is that not that uh, that bum mic i had the last debate <laughs> no, i hope it no. killed me it killed me no sir just a regular mic mm. now, now remember what we talked about sir just a uh, straight walk down the hallway mm. and then to your left thank you so much wow she's got one hell of a pair no no no, no, no. remember what we talked oh, sure sure one hell of a pair of Mic cables on it, doesn't she? Yes. <laughs> I'd like to be connected to them. Yeah. All right, now uh, we're focusing on the transformative yeah. message that you're still bringing to the American. Oh, holy crap! And case oil. 
That's one of the producers. She's from the debate commission, yes, sir, but... Oh, she's got a face like a doll. Mm -hmm. Oh, doll. A, a real little, cute little doll, the kind of men really like. The... You probably should just get your uh, game mouth on now, for real, sir. I got you. I'm on it. Okay. What, um... I'd like to get a piece of that burger she's eating. Oh, if you're so, hungry... They're... No, not really. When there's food in the green room. Oh, uh, I think it's through this door. And that woman from CNN. Yes, sir. I think that's Poppy. I would like to plant a big one mm -hmm. right mm -hmm. in her garden. You know, a big oak tree, <laughs> just as a gift, because she's actually been very nice to me. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Zip up time now for real. Well, ladies and gentlemen, that's going to conclude this week's edition of the show. The program resumes next week at the same time over these same stations, over NPR, worldwide throughout Europe, the USN 440 cable system in Japan, around the world through the facilities of the American Forces Network up and down the east coast of North America by the shortwave giant. On the U.S. American Forces Network overseas, uh, on the Mighty 104 in Berlin, did I say that? No. On uh, Soho Radio in London. Uh, available as a uh, for your smartphone through Stitcher.com and available as a free podcast from iTunes, SoundCloud, Sideshow Network, and WWNO.org. And it'll be just like um, us all changing and learning. If you'd agree to join with me then, wouldn't you? All righty, thank you very much. Uh huh. Tip of the show, chapeau to the San Diego, Pittsburgh, Chicago, in exile in Hawaii desk. Thanks, as always, to Pam Halstead and to Jenny Lawson here at WWNO New Orleans for help with today's broadcast. The email address for this program, playlist of the music heard here on, and your chance to get Cars I Talk t I think it's a nude Cars I Talk t-shirt. I think it's the same design, but it's kind of been upgraded. You always need an upgrade, don't you? That's all at harryshearer.com. And me, I'm on the Twitter, at the Harry Shearer. The show comes to you from Century of Progress Productions and originates through the facilities of WWNO New Orleans, flagship station of the Change is Easy radio network. So long from New Orleans.